Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Welcome back to Celtics Path, part of Celtics Blog and SB Nation. It's your host, Adam Taylor. Now, Marcus Smart went off. He shot 25 shots in total, 11 frees, setting a record for the Celtics' most frees made in a game. I've seen mixed reactions to this over Twitter, so what I've decided to do today in Justin and Brendan's absence is bring on two guys who I have dialogues with over Twitter quite regularly to get their opinions on whether Smart should have, A, had the ball in his hands that much and whether or not he should even be getting the amount of touches that he's seeing at the moment. It's a polarizing discussion and hopefully it makes for good debate. At this point, I'd like to welcome both guys on. I've got Jack and I've got Mr. Anonymous Twitter user. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. What about you, Adam? Doing good, man. I'm doing good. Great. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, bro. Anytime. So the way this is going to work is I'm going to ask a question and then your discussion, you can just kind of go off into a tangent after which once I feel that talking points ran its course, I'll ask the next one. There's four questions in total. So let's just jump straight into it. So question number one, should Smart have taken those 25 shots against the Suns? And if not, who should have had the ball in the hands more? Um, you can start if you want. I'm open to responding if you'd like to start off your argument. Well, I, you know, you're the pro smart guy and he had a career night last night, so I'll let you go. Okay, then. I mean, I'm ha- more than happy to start. So my thing is, especially with Kemba and Brownout, which is huge, huge, I think that whoever got hot needed to take those shots because I'm looking at the box score right now. Hayward and Tatum both took 20 shots. So Smart's 25 shots weren't far and away the most in the game. So Tatum and Hayward were getting their looks. Tatum shot 50% from the field, which is good. But Hayward shot 8 for 20, which is still 40%. But Smart made 13 of his 25 shots. So if you tell me that he shouldn't have taken those shots when he shot at such a high clip and he even shot 50% from three, then I just don't know what your argument would be to say that he shouldn't have taken the shots. Okay, well, last night, you know, it's hard to say don't shoot last night if he's in the zone and he's making 50% of threes on 22 shots. So, you know, my argument on this is more if you look at the course of the whole year and not just one game. So I I see your argument, and last night I would say, you know, fine, take the shots. I don't agree with it. I think that when he takes that many shots, it tends to be bad for the team, and it changes the offense to the point where the offense isn't as effective. And, and when the offense isn't as effective, it, cre- it creates a, a situation where the defense isn't effective. And I think that if you look at the course of the whole season, the numbers kind of bear that out. Okay, I see your point. And I'm not even going to lie to you. Every time I see Marcus Smart open the game with a three-point shot, I cringe a little. Like, I get a little nervous and to see what's going to happen. But overall, I think the Celtics lack shooting. Like, Hayward, Tatum, Brown, and Kemba are our shooters. And that's not usually a problem. But when, when you look at other great teams around the league, like the Rockets, for example, let me say here, and the Heat, you have players on those teams like Daniel House and Ben McLemore on the Rockets. And then on the Heat, they have someone like Duncan Robinson. They all have, like people designed to shoot the ball 
no one on the Celtics is on here just to shoot the ball. Like Tatum's a shooter, but he's also one of the main guys in our offense. So when you look at the Celtics offense, we need someone who's just designed to shoot threes. And I'm not saying Marcus is the best guy to do that, but in this offense that the Celtics have, I don't think they have many other options unless you're going to have Semi Ojale or Brad Wanamaker be the spot-up shooters on the wing. And you can't just have Brown or Kemba or Tatum or Hayward even just sitting on the wings because they're such diverse and talented players that they have no business just sitting there waiting for a shot. And I think, although it might not be the best role for him as an NBA player, that's the role he needs to fill in the Celtics offense. You know, it's funny. Last night on the post-game show on on TV, um, Scal and Draper were talking about whether whether Marcus will become our fourth or fifth, I forget what they said, 20-point-per-game 20, 20 shooter. Okay, if you guys think Marcus is going to become a 20-point-per-game scorer, as that's the future of the Celtics, then we have real problems. You know, I went and tried to do one of those five, you know, the five-player analysis on the NBA thing, and, and it was yeah. tough. I, I did it really quickly, and, you know, it's skewed because of the minutes. But if you look at the first page where the most minutes by different groups of five play, I came up, and, and again, I, I, I did this quickly, so the numbers might not be 100%, 100% accurate. Without okay. Smart, shot 50.4% effective field goal. Without him, it was 56.05. Then I cut it in half to the point where just the, the half of the first page with the, the, the five-player uh, combinations with the most minutes to try to get a better feel for what it was. With let's see, without smart, let's see if I got this right. Uh, without, actually, you know what? I don't. I can't find it. Sorry about that. That's a bit. I see right. what you're saying, though, for sure. I think I think when he's in a lineup, somehow, and I can't prove this, it hurts the team's overall offense and and I can't I, I can show you the numbers from the course of the season okay. but I can't specifically show you on field goal percentages for the team because it's very I couldn't you know I started working on this a couple hours ago and I've never dealt with analytics before no I know what you're saying I don't deal with analytics that much either but I definitely believe you in what you're saying because if I'm going to be honest with myself Marcus Smart's never been the best shooter at all like he shoots pretty poor from the field however I will say this is his second best season from the field last year was an outlier by far he shot 42 percent from the field which still isn't that great but in the years prior he never got above 36 this year he's at 38 which is is an improvement by all means for him as a person and Uh he's shooting 35.5 percent from three which doesn't sound that great but when you take a look at the other people in the league and other like people above him in percentage wise it's not that bad because I, I made a list and the list concludes of all the people above Marcus Smart in three-point percentage that are taking more shots than him so for example I didn't include Marcus Morris who's shooting like four a game because Smart's taking 6.63s a game which is a lot I understand Smart, Smart is Smart is taking 6.63s a game this season yes that is a lot it is a lot but when you look at it there are 22 people who are taking more shots than him and shooting a better clip from the field. And he's 93rd in the league in uh, field goal percentage. So that's less than a fourth of the guys above him are taking more shots. And of those guys, only one, two, three, four, five of them are taking 
the amount of threes per field goal. And what I mean by that is 60% of smart shots in a game are threes. And so guys like Tim Hardaway, who's above him on the list, only 58%. So I took the five guys above him in that stat that I kind of made up for myself. And those five people who are taking the majority of the shots are threes and shooting better than smart are Ben McLemore, Duncan Robinson, Devontae Graham, J.J. Redick, and Davis Bertans. And so I would argue that four out of those five guys are three-point specialists. So what I got from that is like what I said before. At least with McLemore and Robinson, you have guys designed to take threes in that offense. And the Celtics don't have that. And so when you compare Smart to the guys like J.J. Redick, Davis Bertans, and uh, who was it? Devonte Graham, those guys are in their offense and they are expected to make their threes. And the Cel- when the Celtics don't have that, it falls on Marcus. And so my point is, even though he may not be the best guy to take the shots, he needs to take those shots. Yeah, I think that when he tries to take over the offense, that's when we get into real trouble. I mean, you know, you're, the numbers you're talking about, it sounds like he's an, he's an effective three-point shooter that, that really – I find that hard to believe given, you know, from watching games for the last several years. I agree. And, and saying, no, 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 don't shoot that yeah. shot. But, uh, you know, if you say so, that, that you know, I'm not going to argue with you because I didn't really have time to research it. So premise in this, and then if you run, if you run Marcus Smart stats through cleaning the glass, which has a, which has a built-in garbage time filter, you'll see that Smart is shooting 36% overall on threes. He's 53rd in percentiles for the league. So he's round about bang average for three-point shooting across the league, excluding any makes during garbage time. If you look at what he's doing around the the corners, he's absolutely shockingly bad. He's in the bottom 18% of all NBA players for a corner three percentage. Non-corners, he jumps up to the 69th percentile, which is actually his best year as a Celtic, his best year in the league. But overall, he is only bang average, which leads me into the next question. Is Smart shooting, is Smart's willingness to shoot hurting the team's offense overall? Do you feel like sometimes he'll just jack up freeze when there's loads of time left on the clock? Or are you happy for him to be taking them because of the improved shooting form that he's got at the moment and the current streak he's on. You know, can I take this one first? Yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead. You know, I was looking at different numbers. Like I said, I tried to research some different stuff. And one of the issues that comes up with the team is the the slow first quarter starts. And so what I looked at was pretty – we had a unique situation this year where Hayward goes out against the Spurs. In the day, he's out for about a month, about 11 games or whatever we'll actually get. And when he comes back, Smart goes out for eight games. So we have a period where Hayward was out and Smart played, and then we had a period where Smart was out and Hayward played with the rest of the team. So I kind of looked at it from that perspective. And what came up was was surprising, I thought, was that first quarter scoring when Hayward was out with Smart was, and again, you guys, I'm not 100% accurate because, I mean, I, I, I did all this, but I want to make sure I give the right numbers here. It was 25.9 points in the first quarter, all right? When 
Smart was, let me just try to find this. When Smart when, when Smart was out, it jumped to 30 over 30 points in the first quarter per game. And the lowest point average, to, the lowest point total of any quarter was 30 points. Okay, 30.3 when he was out. All right, when he came, since he's come back in December, I believe, and I, I can't I can't remember if I got the, the before or after Marcus. Since he's been back, no, okay, here it is. I'm sorry. Since he's been back, it's been 25.9 in the first quarter. When Hayward was out for that period from November into uh, beginning of December, the, the first quarter average was 24.3. So basically, the, the one period where Marcus was out for eight games, first quarter scoring jumped over 30 points in the first quarter. The lowest quarter point average we had, or point total we had for, for a quarter, was 28 points. So to me, and then you can look at plus minus also. I mean, um, since he's been back, our plus minus, team plus minus has been almost zero. It's been one. Um, before he got injured in December, it was about 5.6, I believe. Um, while he was out for those eight games, it was over 11. Plus, we were over uh, – as a team, we were plus 11. And so, we got, obviously, the net rating, we outscored the team by 11 points. So, the willingness to shoot, I think I, – and this is a small sample in December when he was out, and that's what I'm basing this on, is the Celtics looked like the Showtime Lakers from the 1980s. And the periods when he was in with Hayward – or Hayward was out, the team looked like, you know, I don't know, the, the Patrick Ewing New York Knicks, where the, the offense was just brutal and struggled. And so I would say that based on the numbers this season, when he is in the lineup, when he is playing, the team struggles offensively. We don't shoot as well, which leads to a lot of transition baskets for the opposing team, which Makes the diff- which you know makes the uh, which hurts our defense and, and we get off to slow starts. It's the same thing we we did last year. Everybody knows the pattern. We get off to a slow first quarter start. We shoot terribly. We get into a big hole and we struggle the whole game to come back. Versus what happened in December, you know where we were you know blowing teams out and looked like a finals contender. I see what you're saying for sure. And before I get into my argument for smart let me just say that what i am calling the celtics plague needs to end soon because as much as smart shooting as i'm not going to sit here and tell you that i love smart taking 25 shots a game because i think that was an outlier night where he shot amazing i don't think smart should be one of our top three shooters on the team but the celtics plague is a real issue like when you have guys like smart being forced to take that many shots it's a problem like you can't have two of your best players out and still expect to win games anyways um, getting into smart, I was looking at the Celtics player stats overall, and he's technically by the stats our fifth option on the team. <clears throat> and that obviously goes up when you take into account the fact that Hayward's out for a bunch of these games or Brown goes out or Tatum was out for a game or Kemba's hurt for the first time in his seven year career. And so I'm not saying that smart necessarily is good at taking these shots. Cause I'm, like every other Celtics fan on this planet, I cringe every time I see Smart huck up a three in the first quarter or at a time when we should be passing. And there was a point in, I'm not sure which game it was, it might have been the Bucks game, where Smart was hot from three. And you could tell a heat check was coming and Brad called a timeout. 
genius by him because Smart was not going to make that heat check. Let's be honest with ourselves. But it comes to a point where you have to ask yourself, who's going to take those shots for him? Because Tatum's averaging like 19 shots a game. Kemba's averaging 17. Brown's averaging up around 15. And Hayward's averaging like 13 or something like that. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I can remember. And those are around what it is. And Smart's averaging 11. I know that. So my question is, if you want Smart to take, say, like eight shots a game, bring it down by three, who's getting those three shots? Like, are you going to give them to Tatum or Hayward or Brown? Because the thing is, you can't just give someone those shots. You can, like, maybe run a different play where they get that shot. But if you want to run a design play for a three-point shot, and it's not an ISO step back for Tatum or a high screen pick and roll for Kemba again and again that the defenses are going to know, then you don't have another guy on that team to take the three that Smart's going to hit. Like, you can't have Semi Ojale in the corner and count on him more than Smart. You can't have Tremont Waters or Carson Edwards there that you can count on more than Smart. And so I think the plays that the Celtics are running designed for Smarts to get these shots that people are saying he necessarily shouldn't be taking as many of are there because we need to have some variety and there's just no other option there. So as much as I don't love the fact that he's getting this many shots, I think it's necessary. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the point you made earlier, I agree with 100%. I think most people most people who follow the Celtics agree with too now is that we need more shooting, you know, especially, especially bench shooting. You know, I think that, you know, Grant has, has really, you know, shot better from three, you know, I mean, after his bad start. And I think that Romeo has the potential to shoot well. You know, I also think that, Right now, Tremont would be a much more effective three-point shooter for us than, than Carson Edwards, as crazy as that sounds, you know, and Semi's shooting has come around. But, yeah, you know, you have a point. You know, we have we have a problem with shooting off the bench. We have no real shooting depth off the bench. And so that falls on smart, and, and I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing in the world. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, he takes them at just horrible times that kill momentum, you know, and, and – you know, so I, I think we're in agreement that somehow trying to figure out a way of getting more bench shooting, which comes down to the, you know, trade, a trade, a trade, you know, what you would do from a trade perspective. But yeah, I would agree on that. And I agree with you there. I think smart taking that many shots, I don't necessarily agree with, but um, no, yeah, I think the Celtics definitely need more bench shooting for sure. I agree with your points. I don't think smart is our best option. He's just all we have. Okay, guys, we're going to go to a break now. When we come back, we've got another two questions to go through. The, the last question in the show will be the, the one that causes the biggest amount of debate. So we'll be back shortly. And then once we're back, we'll jump straight back into it. Welcome back. So you've listened to the first half or whether... Uh, these two gentlemen that have been nice enough to join me think that he should have taken those shots. Is his offense hurting the team? We, we definitely want to hear your opinions on this too. Now, moving into the third question. Do you guys feel like Smart's defense is taking a hit due to, due to his new prioritizing of offensive attacks? I worded that terribly. Is his defense declining due to how much he's prioritizing his offense now? I wouldn't mind taking this one first. You go ahead. So... You know, there's an issue of, there, there, you know, obviously was, he was um, all first team defensive player of the year, 
defense last year or something. I mean, obviously, yeah. everyone, everyone talks about how great his defense is. All right, is it team defense? He's great at communicating, telling people where to go. Man-on-man defense, we all know. He defends centers. He defends everyone. But, you know, you look at these games, right, <clears throat> against Detroit. Derrick Rose looked like Michael Jordan. The start was on him, you know. Last night, we lose to the Suns. You know, Devin Booker went off. You know, obviously one of the best scorers in the league. I understand that. Um, you know, Mikael Bridges had a big night, you know. So, you know, against against Milwaukee, Dante DiVincenzo was putting threes up in Smart's face. So I don't know if his defense is falling off. I don't have numbers to justify it at all. Or, or to, to, what I think is the more he gets involved in the offense and the more he shoots and the more – the more we miss, you know, another issue which you brought up was most of the shots come from three-pointers. We all know that three-pointers lead to long long rebounds and, and transition baskets. You know, you miss a three, whether it, it, whether you have momentum or you're trying to get momentum, you miss a three, you get a long, the other team gets a long rebound, runs down and gets a layup. That kills our momentum, and this happens an awful lot. So I personally think that the more he gets involved in the offense, the more it hurts our defense. Team defense, and as far as his individual defense goes, he gets he does not shut people down the way we talk about him shutting people down in the past, the way I see it. No, I see what you're saying for sure, because I understand how the threes lead to long rebounds, and it, it does make more transition offense for the other team. But what I see it as is – the more of an issue with our overall offense that's causing some of these defensive issues. Cause if you look at the Celtics play this season, there's not enough passing. Like we get stuck in these ruts where it's just long stretches of basketball where we don't pass the ball. We just have ISO for Tatum or Brown or Hayward or Kemba or smart. Like you're saying where we huck up a three at the end of it and the other team gets a free basket on the other end. And so when it's smart, he gets all the blame, but I feel like when it's Tatum doing that, people are just like, Oh, he's just, he's just in a slump or whatever. But those issues are happening from, I feel like, a complete offense perspective. And as for his defense falling off, I think that's bogus. Because the only times that people, like, rag on him are the t- times when we lose to the Pistons because they shot 60%. Or when the Bucks shoot 90% from three. And yeah, I, I understand that DiVincenzo pulled up a couple times in Smart's face. Like, Smart should have got a hand up. But I don't think it's fair to rag his entire defensive game for a couple off possessions or something. And with Devin Booker last night, there was a stretch in, I don't know which quarter it was, I think it was the second or maybe the third, where Devin Booker was guarded by Tremont Waters for like a run of offense and it ended with a timeout. Who is doing that? Like, I don't know if that's Brad's great idea. Like, I understand Tremont was a great defender in college, but he has no business guarding Devin Booker. And Booker went on a run of like six or eight straight points like four straight possessions where he just got buckets over Tremont Waters Waters is easily under six feet you can see and so to say that Smart's defensive uh issues last night were what caused Booker to pop off I don't think that's fair and then as for Milwaukee Smart was guarding Giannis for a little bit I know it wasn't a big part of the game but he had that tough um, assignment. And I think in the defense, some of Smart's assignment was stop Giannis. E- even if he wasn't directly on him, it was to trap him a little, which led to a couple open shots on the wing. And when you're facing a guy as good as Giannis, I think that that's a necessary evil. Like you can't let Giannis get easy shots in the paint. So you're going to let up a couple threes. And the fact that the Bucks shot 90% 
in the first quarter and like 80% in the first half is just ridiculous. I think that smart helping on Giannis caused a couple of those threes. And so I guess you could say that his defensive lacking was the reason that they got so many threes. I could understand that argument, but I don't think you can say that his defense has gone down this season because of his focus on offense. Cause then there's plays like the Clippers game that he almost won for us when he dove on the floor and got the ball back from Kawhi Leonard. I think it's those hustle plays that define his defense. It's like a Pat Beverly thing. Like Pat Bev's a great on ball defender, but it's a bit his ability to harass and hustle that makes him so well known. And I think that's what smart is. And I think that will never change throughout his whole career. It's hard to respond. You made a lot of points there. You know, the one thing I do agree with you is sometimes Tatum just pounds the ball into the into the uh, to the, the court and, and, and really kills momentum. I agree with that 100%. I wish he would do that less. So, you know, the one thing I don't know, and maybe you guys have an opinion on, is why why the why the team the, the ball stagnates and the defense the offense stagnates. And, and I think I think that you know when Mark Marcus tries to take over the offense, that's a lot of what happens. That's what contributes to that. You know, um, as far as the defense, and, and, and it's hard for me to say. I mean, I feel like I thought, like, for instance, I thought Tremont did a pretty good job the few times I watched him cover Booker last night. You know, he got him, he stayed in front of him and he, he kind of pushed him, you know, pushed him off, off his line. I thought he did an okay job. So, hard for me to comment on this one. I think with what you're saying about the stagnant offense, I think a big part of it is the injuries because there's no consistency in our starting lineup. Like right now you have three losses in a row and it's just injury, injury, injury. Like the Pistons, there was no Tatum, the Bucks, there was no Brown. And last night there was no um, Kemba or Brown. So I don't understand. You can't develop offensive consistency in a lineup where people just keep getting hurt. And so I think that leads to a bunch of ISOs because you rely on your good scores like Tatum is to just take the ball and do something with it. But people still have to remember Tatum's in his third year now. And so he's not developed enough to just constantly go at people by himself, go out an entire defense and run it. So I think once we all get back, and we all get into a flow of things, we'll be better. Like that start at the beginning of the season. We lost to Sixers, and then we won like nine straight. That was when everybody but maybe Cantor was healthy, and we could develop a full-on offense with all our key pieces. And now we're stuck in a rut where the Celtics plague has hindered us from developing a key, like key offensive strategies that we can run every night and pass the ball well. And so I think that's leading to a bunch of things we're seeing, like Smart having to take 25 shots, which I, I would agree with you. It's not – Great. I think his willingness to do so helps us in the sense that we need shooters, but it hurts us in the sense that he's not a great shooter. Now, the only thing I'll say again, and, and, and you know, I made this point earlier, is that the eight game two are out. We looked like the Showtime Lakers. I mean, we were winning by 20 points, and everybody had us going to the finals. You know, and so why was the offense so good? I mean, is that just is that just too small a subset to to, to take as representative of what it's, what we would play like without him for an extended period. I mean, we, we look great, you know, but, but Jalen had a great month. I mean, so that raises the issue, which we really don't have time to address in this, this, this podcast. But, you know, is Marcus the guy, does Marcus stunt Jalen and Jason's growth more than Gordon? You know, this is an issue everybody always discusses, you know, talks about this. Is Hayward stunting Tatum and, and, and Brown's growth? And I would ask, is it Smart who's doing it, you know? They not play as well when he's on the court with him. I see what you're saying for sure, and it's hard to argue against that piece of um, information you got there because I think the fact that the offense was so much better in the first without Marcus is 
tough to like argue against because there's no really evidence for me to bring up that disputes that because it's very clear on paper that we shot the ball better and scored better without Marcus in the lineup. But I think Marcus brings something more to the team than just scoring. Like, yeah, his willingness to shoot can hurt us at times. And that's why Brad called that timeout a few games ago when he was about to have a heat check shot, but his ability to bring the team together and just have an impact on the locker room and the defense and us as a team, I think is way more valuable than just seeing his offensive stats and his box score. Because just last night when Hayward missed that layup, which killed the entire Boston area, like heart sunk smart, picked his chin up and that's what it means to be a teammate. And that's why we need smart to play as much as it might hurt us shooting the ball every once in a while. Yeah. One last thing I will say on this is that, and is that we started off, what seven and one? We won seven games after we lost the first game to uh, Philly, and then, then then Gordon hurt his hand, and and that's when his 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 foot issue progressed got progressively worse from the start of the season. So you know when you're looking at all of this, you have to remember that 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 Gordon's had issues that have affected the whole team. Because when Gordon plays well, the whole team plays well. So that's a big part of it, also. I agree. I agree. Okay, so I want to lead this into the final question, which is probably going to be the most debatable question. Smart stuck is high at the moment, especially after the game against Phoenix. Probably the highest he's ever been in terms of trade value. And I know that Mr. Anonymous here is very keen on getting onto this topic. Do you consider Smart a tradable asset? And if so, what would you be looking at in return? Personally, I'm against making that trade at the moment. But it's definitely a factor to look into. He's got a very tradable contract. The team do need reliable scorers coming off the bench. And it may be that it's an addition from by subtraction type of event that takes place. So I'll let you two discuss that. I'd be happy to start on this one also. You go ahead. And uh, so so re- really, some of the first, make a quick few points. One is longer term concern is is the way smart plays with the injuries. I think that that's going to slow him down eventually over time, not any time in the near future. But I didn't want to make that point. Yeah, I'm a little worried about him the way he plays. It throws himself around. I would say that Brand has been surprisingly good on perimeter defense, and he is a miniature smart. And Romeo has been surprisingly good on defense. So these are guys who can actually pick up some of the minutes if he were to be traded. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that it potentially could be slowing down Jalen Brown, particularly, but maybe even Jason Tatum's development. And I think that if you, you're going to win a championship in the next five years, you're much more likely to do it with Gordon Hayward than you are with Marcus Smart on your team, if, if you had to choose between the two. Because the, the issue that comes up with everyone we, that talks about, it, everyone knows, is that those are the only two real tradable contracts that can, you can make a significant trade, a great trade for a significant upgrade versus something a bolt-on around the, around the margin. Um, so the trade I liked, and I put out on, on um, Twitter the other day so everybody will know who I am, is I think that if you were to trade, and obviously this is one of those deals where the other team would have to agree, you have to be able to convince them, and you can use this as a I post of the type of trade as opposed to the actual trade is packaging smart with say a couple of contracts like Poirier and, and Carson Edwards and trade them for, for bench scoring. In, in this particular case, you know, um, I mentioned this to Adam because Brendan Nunes had talked about trading with Sacramento for Bielitsa uh, and I threw in um, Bogdan Bogdanovich. So 
essentially you're giving up basically smart and you're getting two bench scorers in, in Bogdanovich and Bielitsa, who has an extra, another year on his contract. And Bogdanovich, I'm pretty certain you get bird rights with him, even though he's a restricted free agent. You'd probably be able to re-sign him next year with his bird rights. If you were to do this, you would also open up a roster spot where you could bring Tremont Waters up to the team full-time. Um, so essentially with one trade, and I, you are – Although you're giving up Marcus, and I realize nobody wants to do that, but you're, you're overnight, you're dramatically changing the complexion of the team. You're adding two legitimate bench scorers. Um, Bielitsa is uh, um, big enough to play uh, five, although, according to Brendan Nunes from the podcast, his defense isn't great, but he's, he's a solid over 40% three point shooter, and, and Bogdanovich would be awesome off the bench also so i think that you make a trade like that you dramatically change the complexion of the team and it's a team that you can have together for the next three to five years with kemba and hayward in place and i think that gives you your best chance of winning a championship going forward now i'm gonna try my best to not get upset because i am the biggest marcus smart fan out there like i'm gonna i'm gonna go full-on just talking about how much he means to this team because as much as I try not to be when I talk about the NBA, I'm a homer. Like, I think as Celtics fans, most of us are. Like, we'll defend the Celtics to to death. And Marcus Smart right now is the longest-tenured Celtics on the team. And if you guys watched the games last night, the Celtics have the roster with the least experience in the NBA. We have so many rookies on this team right now, and most people don't even realize. Like, Javante and Poirier, they're both rookies. And then on top of that, we have five other rookies on contract like that's insane that's six seven guys on the team or a two-way contract that have never played in the league before this season and while I don't think smart necessarily is the only person on the team who can give them the help they need if you just look at the Celtics as a whole and as soon as you started bringing this up I brought up uh article on the Players Tribune that Gordon Hayward wrote before the season started. And he went over the whole roster and what they brought to the team. And a quote from this article, what he said about Marcus Smart. He's that teammate that everyone thinks about and goes, you know, man, I love playing with that guy. Smart is so much more than a box score. And you can bring in Bogdanovich and Bielitsa, who are both amazing three-point shooters and great players. And I think I agree with you, would fit insanely well on this team they bring us shooting but if you get rid of Marcus Smart you're gonna have another IT situation and Boston will riot and I think it would be arguably worse than Isaiah Thomas because Marcus Smart is for this team what Isaiah Thomas was for this team when he was on it I think he's the heart and soul of the Celtics I think he is key for all the little things and Gordon Hayward in his article said the way he handles all the little aspects of the game, like quick outlets, hockey assists, and flare screens. And he's just so vital to the team chemistry. And that's not talked about enough. Like team chemistry is so important. And I think that's could also be a reason why the Celtics are struggling. Cause this is the first time that most of these players have ever played together. And you, then you see teams like the Warriors who built up that chemistry over years and years and years, and then they did well. And the Bucks are slowly building this chemistry, and that's happening. So I think getting rid of a guy like Marcus, who is so insanely important to that team chemistry and just the way the Celtics play basketball, I think it would hurt us way more than it would help us in the shooting department. Yeah, you know, um, 
there's you know there's team chemistry off the court and then there's there's team chemistry on the court and and I understand his importance to team chemistry off the court. What I question is the team chemistry on the court in terms of how the offense works and um, uh, you know how the ball moves and all of that. Yeah, I, I see your point. You know, it's tough. It's going to be a tough choice if they were to do anything. I think that I, I worry that if we don't do anything, uh, you know, this team isn't going to get isn't going to get past the second round. It's going to be more of the same for the rest of the year. You know, a lot like last year where we have these nights where we don't shoot well, we get off to slow starts, and it's frustrating. I mean, it's been frustrating for a month now. You know, it's almost to the point where last year where it's hard to watch some of the games, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I looked, I went to look back because I, I keep using this one eight game period to, uh, you know, to say that when Smart was out, the defense was great. And I went back to when, you know, the other times when he was out, you know, one time he was out for punching the window, the, the mirror and having glass in his hand. <laughs> and we were, I believe we were six, six for four over that period, right? Six and four when he was out. And then he was out with the, the thumb ligament in 18, in the, in March of 18. And at the time, Kyrie had just went down with a knee for knee surgery, and Gordon was out. And during that period, I had us at eight and five. When and that's without without Kyrie and Gordon also. Marcus was out for he missed. I hope I have it right. I hope I have the numbers right. I would have to go back and check. I really don't have time now. And then the other time, obviously, he was out was last year when he hurt his oblique in Orlando, and I believe we um we. We won the last game of the season, and uh, and then we won four games against Indiana. We won the first game in Milwaukee. So we are, what, five? five and then we lost two games in Milwaukee. So we're, we, we're five and two over that period. And then he came back in the fourth game, and we ended up losing the last two games. So, you know, from periods in the past when he is out, I understand your point. I just wanted to bring that up because you make the point of how important he is to the team chemistry and the team, you know, the team winning and everything. But, you know, the periods when he's been out for, for an extended period, you, you know, the, the team has done okay. It's not done great, but it's done okay. I see what you're saying, and I'm not even going to argue with you. Maybe once Smart's out, we do shoot better as a team, and maybe we do score a few more points. But I was just trying to think of this while you were talking. I was writing down a few things. Um, I'm looking at – I wanted to take a look at – times that a player shined in the game and we were like that's the reason we won that game that player did it and so I didn't get to finish I didn't look anything up but a couple that came to mind were Hayward's 39 points against the Cavs I think it was people were like Hayward needs to stay that's a great game beautiful good job and then you have times like Hayward missing a lap and people are like trade Hayward immediately he needs to go then Tatum score like dunks on LeBron James and everyone thinks he's going to be He's going to be the best player in the NBA because he just had an amazing playoffs. And then you have times he shoots one for 19 from the field. And people are like, dang, Tatum needs to take less shots. He needs to do this. And then you have times like Smart against the Rockets, drawing two offensive fouls against James Harden to win us the game. Or Smart diving on the floor against Kawhi Leonard and just igniting a flame and leading us to overtime. Or last night against the Suns where we couldn't pull it out, but Smart played amazing. Besides the Suns game, Smart's key moments come at times when he's doing something that no other player is going to do. That's the archetype of Smart. He's not a shooter. He's not even just a defender. He's the guy who's going to do the things that other players aren't willing to do. He's like a Patrick Beverly who will get up in your face, who will injure Russell Westbrook, I guess, but we don't need Smart to do that. But he's like, 
he does these things on the team that although we might like on paper play better as a team when he's off the court, that's just, that's, I think that's a time when you can't just look at player stats or box scores or records even like smart brings so much more than that to a team. He's that guy. Like he's just the guy who's willing to make the extra player willing to hurt himself to get the win. And whether or not we get that win isn't always smart's fault. Like other people play poorly and that's the reason we lose. Like you can't just like I was on Twitter last night defending Hayward because people were blaming him for the loss. You can't blame Hayward for that loss. We shot so bad the rest of the game. And then people are so quick to say trade Hayward because he missed a layup. Yeah, he should have made the layup, but you can't blame a guy for that. And so I think it's a similar thing when you look at the on paper stats and say that the Celtics are better without smart. I don't think that's a fair assessment in my opinion. I agree with you that maybe we do shoot a little better and I can't dispute the fact that the paper stats say that we're better without smart. But I think as a Celtics fan, if you watch the games and have watched smart develop from this player who beat up a fan in college at Oklahoma state to the player he is now, the amount of growth there is and just development of taking that like passion for the game that he had in college and putting it in a place where he can be so effective and such a key member of a good team. I think it's just not fair to say we should trade him because of the on paper stats. Listen, I just, just to make just to be clear on this, I've always I've been a fan of Marcus all along. No, I, 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 I've said all along. He reminds me of a Celtic from the 1980s. You know the, and mm-hmm. that's why I think he's so popular with the fan base. I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's almost fanatical. <laughs> but uh, you know, he he dives for he does stuff that Larry Bird and Dennis Johnson and those guys used to do on the 1980s team. You know, the the idea was if you're looking at the team now. And everyone wants to, you know, trade Hayward or dump his contract or whatever. The idea was, how do you make the team better? You know, is it, is it, you know, get everyone healthy? Is it, is it trade Hayward? Is it, is it bolt on acquisitions? Or do you, do you use Marcus's contract to, to, to actually get some shooting for the bench and try to build the team for the next four to five years? Because you have to realize, you know, Gordon, Gordon. I think, you know, is that if he continues to play like this, he'll, he will probably opt in. He will play out next year and he'll be 31 and he'll be 31. And, and with Brad Stevens as the head coach, there's a good chance he's going to sign the contract that everybody hoped that Al, Al Horford would sign a four year, $80 million contract or something like that and play out his career in Boston. Um, and, you know, Kemba's got three more years after this year. So basically you need, I think you need to do something now to make, to, to say our window is the next four to five years. You know, Brown and Tatum are going to be fine after that, you know, for the next 10 years. But, you're, it's gonna, you know, are you going to have a, two all-stars in Kemba and, and Hayward who was all-star and hopefully will be again someday? And I think that the, the way you really – get over the hump is, is to trade Marcus. And obviously this is totally dispassionate in terms of, you know, we all love Marcus. I agree with you hundred percent on that. But I'm, that was how we were looking at it. It's like, look at it, you know, what do you do to make the team better now? And that was how we came to this point. And I, I agree with you. I think if I'm being purely statistical and say, like, look at like everything the player does for the team, Hayward's definitely a better player than Smart right now. But if you're talking next four to five years, Hayward is getting older. 
he's only 30 right now, but in the next four to five years, he'll be what, 33 to 35 years old mm-hmm. in, by the end of his contract and the time he signs this quote-unquote team-friendly deal. I think that if we can have Marcus take less of those shots as Tatum and Brown develop to take more of the shots – I think that keeping him on the roster is more valuable than having Hayward when you can take Hayward and although his contract is huge and really hard to trade for, you could trade him to a team with a a contract that's really bad, like the Wizards. Like you can take in Jan Mahimi's big contract and maybe get back a Bear Tens. I don't know if the Wizards would do that, but if we package in a couple seconds or even a first round pick with that, maybe they'd be interested if we can make the salaries work. But I think having Marcus on the team is more valuable even right now. And I'm not, I'm trying to like separate my love for Marcus as you've said, we all have, like, I understand you're a fan of Marcus too. Like you love the Celtics, but I understand what you're saying that we need shooting. Listen, when he was shooting 40% from three, what was it earlier this season? Or was it last year? It looked like his contract looked like the best contract in basketball. It was, you know, he looked like an amazing, like an amazing steal on his contract. So this is not a negative against Marcus Smart. No, I get that. I 100% get that. And um, I, I'm i not trying to, like, compl- like, I have nothing against you, obviously. I just, I'm trying to make the point that I think Hayward, I mean, Smart is more valuable than Hayward. And I completely respect your opinion that Hayward's more valuable than Smart because right now, you're right, he is. But I think in the next few years, I think Smart will slowly become more valuable than Hayward because you've got to remember he's going to, I think he's going to progress even more as a player and learn to take less of these shots. I think Smart's the type of guy I feel like that would just learn from all of his experiences. So I feel like if he has a couple more of these rough nights, Brad might sit him down and say, okay, listen, we need you to take less of these shots and give the ball to Tatum and Brown more. And as Tatum and Brown develop, I think they're going to learn to take more of those shots. And I think the offense is going to run directly through those two guys and Kemba more in the future. And so I think having Smart's defense, and if he can learn a little more to step back on a couple of those shots and just play his role a little more, or even just become a more effective three-point shooter, then I think he's going to be more valuable than Hayward as we enter this, as you're saying, four to five year window that I agree I would say this team has with Kemba on it. Okay, so I'm going to end it there. Uh, we've kind of run into the amount of time I'd like the podcast to run. So just to, just to summarize, we're basically leaving the podcast as we entered it with one thinking that Smart's going to be the best trade option in terms of upgrading the bench for some shooting ability and one who believes that maybe it should be Hayward that's moved, if anybody at all. Am I right? I would yeah. say so, yeah. I would okay, say so. Even, e- yeah. Okay, guys, so I want to say thank you for coming on, and especially thank you for not trying to kill each other verbally for the last <laughs> hour. Uh, that's very much appreciated. It makes my life a whole lot easier. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Hit us up on the mentions, tweet, tweet at me, um, leave a comment, anything you want to do if you want to get involved in this debate. It seems to be kind of a few people are afraid to speak out on what their actual opinions are on Marcus Smart until somebody else does it first, which was kind of the premise in me starting this part of this episode today. I'm all for Marcus Smart. You'll read my article that's out on Celtics blog at the moment regarding the way he played and the leadership he showed. There are times where he hurts the offense. There are times when sometimes it feels like he's too interested in getting back out on the break to score. But that's another story. You'll hear my opinion on him over the coming weeks. For now, I want to say goodbye. Say thank you to both of you guys for coming on. We've got some big guests lined up this week. As long as they pull off, then there's going to be some great content for you. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you later in the week. Peace. Peace.